0: Thank you, Arnie. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Lively. Very good. Well, Thanksgiving is over. All is well in the world. The food comas are done. The Husker season is over. Thank you, Jesus. That's, that's done. That's just over with. That's good. Uh, and... Uh, We, uh, uh, it's after Thanksgiving, and even the Scroogiest among us has to admit what season we're in, right? There's lights on houses, there's crazy temperature fluctuations, Uh, there's stories about flying reindeer uh, with a large, red-clad jolly man, there's fear of an elf that keeps Tab from our shelves in our house, and there's Christmas music. We're going to sing some later today. And yes, it's Christmas time. Christmas music is everywhere. Uh, Whether we like it or not, it's everywhere. Uh, I worked at Home Depot uh, for a few years, and uh, remember the Christmas seasons there, where the entire day was filled with some retail store-worthy Christmas songs. and five days a week, I would be subjected to unbearable working conditions as some of these songs blared across the speakers, hurting my ears, lowering my IQ. It was really bad, and I'm sure there are some songs that we have that are on our naughty list, and they're probably rightfully there. Yet sometimes, uh, I'd be filled with joy I would, like, legit joy, nearly singing in the aisle, worshiping Jesus because the Home Depot would play a Christmas song or two with some biblical depth and some real meat to it. I would think everybody right now in this store is hearing some of the most profound truth in the Bible ever. And I hope they're getting it. I am. I'm worshiping in the aisle, nearly singing this stuff. Songs about uh, songs based on the Bible about a Savior, about the forgiveness of sin, the love of God, Jesus coming into the world, and all of this stuff could be missed uh, in those songs. We can sing these beautiful Christmas songs and possibly not even be realizing what we're singing and the depth of what we have in these songs. This fact and the scripture that backs these songs, that influences sing- these songs, are what we're pressing into. For our Christmas series. If you're new with us, our baseline sermon practice is to preach through books in the Bible. We love doing that. We think it uh, helps us preach the whole Word of God, all of the Bible. Yet for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to unpack Scripture that gives a scriptural foundation to these beautiful songs that are biblically rich and full of truth, uh, these beautiful songs that we're going to sing all this year that you probably heard. And we're going to dive in right away. Let's dive in. I'm going to introduce a Christmas song, and then I'll unpack the Scripture that backs it. And don't worry, I will not sing it. Dan will sing it. Dan will take care of that. He is good at things like that. I am not. I have a very small set of things that I'm good at. Singing is not one of them. So here it is, our first song. I'm not singing it. Titled, O Come, All Ye Faithful. Or it might be better known by its chorus, Come, Let Us Adore Him. Here's the basic stats. It was originally written in Latin, uh, sometimes attributed to John Francis Wade in 1743, likely to have been written before him from a few different people, a few different possibilities. Sister and monks, King John IV of Portugal, and Saint Bonaventure in the 1400s, like way back kind of stuff. The melody that we know and the tune that we hear that we sing to, uh, there's a bunch of different possibilities of who and when that came from. And it's been sung by nearly everybody, including the Disney Christmas Choir, Twisted Sister with a Sick Minute-Long Guitar Solo, (laughs) Pentatonix, Weezer, Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, Hillsong, Lauren Daigle, us, and a whole mess of other people. To help us remember it, uh, I'll read some of the lyrics. Here's uh, the first verse. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, then the chorus, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Our scripture for the day comes from the fourth verse, and it goes, the fourth verse goes, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus to all glory be given, there's too many syllables in given, they got to shorten it, and here's our line. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. There are multiple connections to Scripture in this song, and, but this last line is where we're going to uh, focus on. And this song, or that line from this song, comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So let's turn there in your Bibles, on your phone, whatever you got, let's turn there. We're going to dig in. And in the Scripture, we're going to find, and I'll unpack two truths that are in this Scripture. And then from those two truths, we get two gifts It's Christmas season, have a little theme here. It's two gifts to us, true truths, two gifts. Let's get to it. The truth, the first truth uh, from this line of the song, this line, Word of the Father now, or Word of the Father from that line, is from John 1, 1 through 5. The truth is that the Word is God. I I know we normally call the Bible the Word or God's Word, but this is pointing to something different. So let's read John 1, 1 through 5. It should be on the screen for you. It reads, like Arnie read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This sounds like the very first words of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And John is trying to make incredibly clear what he's talking about. He's going back before creation, back before everything, before people, before the earth, before anything was made, and there was only God. And Jesus or John is making incredibly clear that the Word is a distinct person from God, but still fully God. The word is simply not spoken language from God or another name for God. The word implies thought, action, will, multiple things that makes up a distinct, a real distinct person. The word was with God. He was there with him. They were distinct, but they were together, so closely together and so from the same stuff of God that it says that the word was God. God. The Word is the same and unified in Godhood, but a distinct person. And you maybe think, well, the Word might just be the first created thing. And John makes it clear. The Word was not created, but was a part of creating everything. All things were made through Him, and nothing was made without Him. Everything in all of creation has His fingerprints on them. Even in Genesis, on the first pages of the Bible, this is the case. Every day of creation uh, starts with the Word of God, right? Day one, let there be light. And it was so, right? Every day starts like that. And I'm sure many of you dads out there, as you plugged in the Christmas tree, said that exact phrase <laughs> when turning it on. So good work. You guys know the Bible. Also, it goes on to say that the Word was life. He didn't need life given to Him like we did, He had it already. And this life was the light of men. So, light in John. Uh, carries this idea of goodness and holiness and how the Word's life, His existence, is wrapped up in this goodness. And so mankind was created and called to experience and model and to show the world by being images of God what this looks like, to show the life and light of the Word. All that to say, the Word is God. Fully and completely, the Word is God. And John is telling telling us this truth to make the next part more important, more exciting, more glorious, more grand. And the line of the song that we're focusing on captures it. It says, word of the Father, here's the line, now in flesh appearing. And this line is coming from John 14. Uh, Arnie, read it? I'm just going to read the one verse. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the only glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this all saying? The second truth is that the Word became human. This is the incarnation, a fancy theological term that's been around for a while in the church, for God becoming human. You could say that this song is the intonation of the incarnation, which I will not take credit for. Eric came up with that, along with many other rejected uh, titles for the series. He's right over there. You can congratulate him later. He will gladly tell you all of the rest of the ideas that he had. They're pretty good. But the Word became flesh, meaning God became man, fully man. He didn't just take over a human body. He didn't just empower a man in a specific special way. The Word became human. He is fully God and fully man. This is Jesus. God who made everything stepped down into his own creation. He was birthed. He cried. He grew up. He had brothers. He ate. He slept. He could bleed just like you and me. John is also impressing upon us and telling us that Jesus is fully God, that the Word became human without losing or reducing his godness. The phrase, dwell with us, in the verse, John, uh, John is helping us get a picture of the Old Testament tabernacle, this mobile tent that the people of God, uh, Israel, would walk around with. So God would go with them. They could interact with him through going in the temple. God could be with them as they walk around the desert and then move into the land and have a temple where God sets up his residence. <clears throat> God wanted to be close to his people, and he dwelled with them. And the word became human. This is Jesus, and he dwells with us. The rest of the verse, too, helps us. John writes that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full Of grace and truth. John is helping us remember another thing in the Old Testament. In Exodus 33 and 34, where Moses on Mount Sinai got the Ten Commandments there. Ten Commandments were broken. He had to re get them. He was back up there getting the the Ten Commandments rewritten. He's on Sinai and he asks God to see his glory. And God shows it to him. And then God, as he's showing Moses his glory and protecting him from the full weight of his glory, God describes himself to Moses, which is incredibly important to know when God talks about himself, yet the description is short and memorable, like short like a profile on a social media site. And there's a key phrase that stands out in this description. It's almost like a tagline for God. And that is, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness from Exodus 34, verse 6. And this tagline gets repeated again and again and again throughout the Old Testament to describe God in a short little sentence, a short little phrase. And John is trying to pull that up in our minds when he says, full of grace and truth. And while the words are different, the way John wrote it and how he structured it and how the meaning of those words overlap is unmistakable. The word fully God became human, fully man. And I realize this can be a bit of a mind-boggling thing. How can God become man? How can Jesus be both fully God and fully man at the same time? The math doesn't add up. Well, good thing it's not math for us pastors. It's not math. Uh, So let me try to help us out a little bit. Let's say that there's a job opening. The job is God of the universe. Big job. The requirements are having no beginning and no end, being all-powerful, completely good and righteous, perfect in every way. Jesus would qualify. He is the Word. He is God. He is fully God. He would meet the requirements to be God of the universe. Now, let's say there's another job opening. It's called being human. You have to have a body, get hungry, feel pain, get tired, have human DNA. Jesus would qualify. The Word became a legit human. Jesus possessed everything necessary to be God and everything necessary to be human in one person. It's not math. It's requirements, all that. This is such an important truth that the early church had debates over it. Here's how important it is. They had an entire meeting in 325 A.D. where church leaders were solidifying what uh, people that follow Jesus believe. And they came out with a creed in that meeting. And the big fight in that meeting was if Jesus was fully God or not. And a church leader named Arius led a group that thought Jesus was not fully God. And at this meeting, somebody else was there. His name was St. Nicholas, not Santa Claus. St. Nicholas, the leader of the church in Myra in Asia Minor. Well, as legend has it, when Arius was trying to prove that Jesus was not fully God, jolly old St. Nicholas couldn't take it anymore. St. Nicholas got up and punched Arius, as legend has it. There should be a picture. Yep, picture from church history. The holiest knuckle sandwich ever. Hallelujah for church history. Did he really punch him? Probably not. It's a legend. They, it's just kind of funny. But this communicates how important this is. This meeting was real. They really had this meeting, the Council of Nicaea, that solidified our understanding of this true thing. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Not only does Scripture say it, but it also has deep meaning for us. You and me, everybody from around the world, and it goes beyond holiday traditions. And It goes beyond having a season that's meant to bring out the best in people. It's meant uh, the word become uh, human has an impact on us and our eternity and our life. Because it has such an impact on John, in the next verses, John switches from solely looking at Jesus, the word become man, to how it impacted him, how it affected John. And he doesn't tell us the boring stuff. He tells us the good stuff. So we have these two truths, that the word is God and that the word became human. And now we get the two gifts. For us. Gift one, we can see Jesus' glory. Moses asked to see God's glory, and he got to. And John wrote, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the Father full of grace and truth. Our song even captures this in the chorus, so come, let us adore him. And we can see Jesus' glory. Glory isn't about a vision of God, or only, it's not only about a vision of God being in his presence filled with light in another realm. For John, Jesus' glory is more earthy, more tangible, more real in real actions in life. Glory is more about a person's character, their ability, their power, their presence, their fame. Glory at its core has this idea of weight to it, not necessarily light. And no uh, light can come with it. It's like a felt weight, the gravity of, some, of a person, of who they are and what they can do. So have you ever run into a celebrity or your favorite sports figure somewhere else in the world, in a real life place? You know their ability, their importance, how much you love seeing them do what they do. And so what do you do? You look. You look at them. You try not to be weird about it, you know? And Try to get the little sneaky glance to them, or get the sneaky selfie with them. Well, just ask. But we look at them. We notice them. Their weight of the presence, weight of their presence is felt. We look at them, um, or we see this glory when we go to see plays like Hamilton to watch the glory and the skill of, and the story of a, a Broadway musical. Uh, when I lived in Chicago during seminary, I went to a church nearby the school. Uh, it was the same church as the then head coach of the Bears, Lovey Smith, which I like the Bears. They were good back then, which is a thing. And you bet I tried to get a look at him. You bet I wanted to like take something up to him and have him sign it because of who he is, the weights of, of who he is and what he can do. And the fact, he's coach in my favorite sports team. I wanted to be next to him. I wanted to see him. All of that gives us this idea of glory. But none of these people can hold a candle to Jesus, to his ability, his power, his fame, his reputation, his holiness, and his goodness. John even goes on to mention John the Baptist, not himself, the writer, but John the Baptist. In verse 15, it says, John bore witness about him, Jesus, and cried out. This was he, Jesus, of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist knew who he was dealing with, the glory of the person walking towards him, the eternal nature of God incarnate. And we get to see Jesus' glory too. Similarly similarly to John, who wrote the gospel, it's more earthy, more real, more tangible, more in actions and change. We see it in the words of Scripture and the power that Jesus works in his people, We see it through lives changed, baptism, miracles in our very own community. We see it in steps of faith and obedience, in the stories of his kingdom. We saw Jesus' glory in the video last week from the Gospel Community Church in Rwanda and how Jesus was at work in them and at work in their country to allow them to meet and how Jesus opening doors in new places uh, just outside the city for them to reach. We see Jesus' glory in that. And we're helped by the Spirit uh, to see Jesus' glory because John says later that, that Jesus said the Holy Spirit helps us. He shows us. He glorifies Jesus. He helps us know the weight of who Jesus is. So let's take time to see Jesus' glory in this season, to recognize it, to sing about it in songs, to talk about it during an Advent season. This is not because Jesus is only a cute and cuddly baby, but because he's also creator in Christ. We don't focus on him because he's a newborn, but we focus on him because he's also eternal. It's not because baby Jesus is little with adorable little hands and adorable little baby feet. It's because he's Lord. That's who we see. That's who we look at. This is a gift. We get to see Jesus' glory. Friends, I know this time of year fills up with schedules uh, with shopping, with parties, with family get-togethers, and all that's good. All that's good stuff. You can enjoy those. These are good things. It's, it's a blessing to give gifts to one another, to be with one another. But don't miss Jesus. Friends, I know Hallmark produces an incredible amount of hours of Christmas movies every year. There's 41 new ones this year. You could watch at least one a day from now until the new year and still not hit them all. I would tell you don't do it, (laughs) but if you do do it, make sure that there's time to see Jesus' glory in this season, to remember him, think about him, remember who he is, just to stare in awe and wonder at what he's done. So here's a few ways uh, we can see his glory in real life like John did. Uh, It is Family Sunday here, so take time with your family and pick up an Advent guide to have conversations about Jesus. Take time to ask questions, read Scripture, sing together as a family uh, the music that worships Jesus. Lead your kids to see Jesus, to go to him, to see his glory. There are a ton online, but we have also printed ones in the back, on that table in the back for you guys um, to take. They're from our kids' curriculum back in City Light Kids. There's everything in there from simple questions to ask at the dinner table or on your drive to wherever you're going Uh, All the way up to guiding you through activities that may get a little messy, but trust me, they're good. They're showing Jesus' glory in that. So pick up, families, pick up a family Advent guide. Another way that we can see Jesus' glory is by reading a gospel. I know some families, they read part of the Bible, the Christmas story part of the Bible, every year at Christmas. And this is a wonderful thing. I would tell you, see Jesus' glory, keep reading. Keep going in that story. Think of it as a read through a gospel in December plan. And if you were like me and the read through the Bible in the year plan kind of had some bumps to it and you're nowhere close to finishing it, that's okay. Do a read through a gospel in December plan to see his glory, to see the weight of who he is. Last way that I'll mention is you'll simply ask yourself and your friends what Jesus has done this year. What has he done in your life? Where has he been present? Where has he shown you his love? Where has he taught you this year? John said, we have seen his glory. It's a community thing. Together, all of us have stories of God's glory, of Jesus' glory in our life from this past year. So ask your friends so they remember. And you get to hear their story of Jesus at work in their life, his glory, and the impact of who he is on their life. So that's one. We can see Jesus' glory in real-life, tangible ways. Gift number two. Gift two is that we receive Jesus' grace. We receive His grace. Here's where it comes from in verse 16 through 18. For from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. John is highlighting grace. Grace in the Bible is God's steadfast love, his unmerited favor, his kindness towards us, though we don't deserve us. his goodness towards us, his blessing for us. And John says we've received a lot of it grace upon grace. If you think of Thanksgiving dinner that you probably just had, you had one layer of food on that plate. And if you had a very good oversized sturdy plate, which is the MVP of Thanksgiving, I will say, you had another layer of food on the top of it. But this is food on food, food upon food. This is Thanksgiving. What if you had three, multiple more layers high, millions of layers, food upon food? It's capturing this idea, not just two layers, but an indescribable amount. Now, what instead of food, that was grace. Grace upon grace, more than you think you can handle. More than you can probably describe. How? How did Jesus give us grace upon grace? John points to it. First, he says the law was given. The law was a good thing. The Old Testament law was a good thing. It had good rules, like the Ten Commandments in it. It shows us who God is and what he's like. And his holiness and his goodness. It contains stories about it to show how, how God's goodness and who he is affected people. It told us his promises, his promises to us. All these things are good things, but it still rules, and nobody could keep them all perfectly. People then and now fail at living up to God's perfect standard and purpose for humans. This is called sin. And even though it's a good thing, it still showed us that we sin and how our sin deserves the punishment of death. And it showed us how we need forgiveness from our sin, how God is able to forgive. It showed us who God is and how good his presence is, but how our sin keeps us from him. Then in God's plan, Jesus shows up. The word became human. By Jesus' life and his words, John got a front seat to God's presence. John got to see Jesus full of grace and truth live a real human life, but still abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, still full of grace and truth. And then after Jesus lived a perfect human life, John got a front seat to the cross where Jesus died. John got a front seat to the resurrection after Jesus died. He got to see the story unfold of how Jesus gives grace, how he saves people, forgives people, and gives them life, grace upon grace, how did he do it? Let's say that there's a third job opening. You have God of the universe and human. Jesus fulfills both. There's a third job. It's savior. You have to be human to be mankind's representative. You have to be God to stay perfectly good and righteous in every way, just like the law says. You have to be able to take the wrath of God against sin, the punishment of death, and you have to be alive even after death to give life to humans. You have to be able to fix a broken world, one that's messed up and marred by sin and recreate it. Jesus qualifies. He's the only applicant that qualifies. He's the only one that can save and bring forgiveness. He's the only one that can make us new. He's the only one that can fix a fallen and broken world. This is grace upon grace. This is good news. This is the gospel. At the end of John's account of Jesus' life, John calls us to believe this gospel. John 20, verse 30 to 31, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is good news that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Where the law shows us how we failed in sin, Jesus gives us grace upon grace and makes a way for us to be forgiven, to be saved, to be set free, to to be given life. Maybe today is the first time you want to receive this grace. Maybe today is the first time the gospel is making sense to you and you believe it. Maybe today is the first time you recognize and admit your sin. Your distance from God and want Jesus grace upon grace and you want to believe and you believe in him as God become man to save you. You believe that he died and rose again to bring this to you. Yes, we would love to pray for you. I tell this to the college students the last couple of weeks don't leave here without us praying for you if that's you. Maybe today you've believed the gospel and you're simply asking for more grace. Then ask. Keep asking. Destroy whatever limit that you have for God's grace. Where He can't give it, He can give it. Destroy whatever hindrance that you have from you thinking that God won't give it to you or can't give it to you. Ask. He has no limit, it's grace upon grace. The limit is ours alone and being open and able to receive it, so ask. Maybe you have a failure or sin that's still weighing on you. Remember grace upon grace, the gospel, that he forgives. Confess it, and he forgives you. He gives you that grace in that moment. Maybe you just want to experience more grace. You're just so excited for Jesus. Jesus is so amazing. You just want more of it. Keep asking. And John says that we all have received grace upon grace. So bring a friend with you. Pray with us. And if you would stick around, talk to one of us or the prayer team. But don't leave here without somebody with you asking for that grace. The first time or to feel it and receive it anew. Or maybe you just want me to be quiet so we can keep worshiping Jesus. Let's do that. Let's pray. Let's pray for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace that you give it to us, that we receive it from you, grace upon grace through your Son. And, Father, that Jesus came to save us, to live perfectly, die, and to rise again, to give us life and forgive us and save us. We thank you for that grace upon grace. Father, help us to see his glory. Help us to recognize it. Help us to ponder it. Help us to take others with us and show them too. And we thank you for this and we pray for this for us. In Jesus' name, amen.